It's good to see all of you here today. I just have a couple of quick announcements before we get started. Um, this is this is the uh, sign-up sheet for pilgrim groups. So when this gets passed around, if you don't know what a pilgrim group is, it's a men or women's Bible study where you get to hang out with a few women and do uh, accountability this year, or a few men. If you're a man, you're not going to hang out with any women. I guarantee you that. Um, you'll be hanging out with other guys. But this year, we're going through um, the highlights of Genesis, which we're also preaching on, so you'll kind of get to dialogue uh, a little bit more about what's being preached about. Um, on the sign-up sheet, it tells you when the women's pilgrim groups are and when the men's pilgrim groups are. All it says is what days they happen on. So if you are already in a pilgrim group, your pilgrim group probably isn't ending. Um, so don't sign up for it. If your leader has said, hey, it's still going, we don't need you to sign up. If you aren't in one and want to be in one, this is when you would sign up. Um, otherwise, you probably already kind of know what you're doing. Um, if you were in my wife's group, you don't need to sign up. She will contact you or she already has contacted you, one or the other, to uh, kind of figure out where you're going or what you're doing. So if you want to be in a pilgrim group, this is the place to sign up. You can sign up for men's pilgrim group or women's pilgrim group. If you're new with us, there's a 3 by 5 card somewhere in here. Write down the information that you want us to know. If you want to get our emails, um, write down your email address, whatever you want us to know about you, write it down. I'm going to hand this to the Akeleys. If you don't want anything to do with the sign-up sheet, just pass it to the next person. Um, and that'll be good. So, if everybody would just bow their heads, we're going to pray and get started tonight. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for, for the clouds. I want to thank you for the mountains. I want to thank you for just the the crazy universe and that you've placed us into and um, just all the amazing things that happen around us uh, that make life happen. Um, I want to thank you for putting me and these people in this place and in this time to be together. And Jesus, tonight we come before you um, in all different places. We come knowing you as king. We come not knowing you at all, we're, we're all over the place. And um, we just want to declare this space yours, Jesus, and you are Savior. And Holy Spirit, thank you so much for coming and being our encourager, but tonight, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the courage to believe what is true and what's said to us from me, from conversations around meal, and to throw out what's false. Give us eyes to see what's true and the courage to believe it. And I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we are kind of moving through Luke pretty quickly uh, in a series called Interviews with Dr. Luke. The whole point in this series is uh, just to get some highlights of the Gospel of Luke and follow Jesus' story along. Um, we're going to end at the end of this month and start in Genesis. But 
Tonight, usually what we do is two chapters, but tonight we're just going to do one chapter. We're going to do Luke chapter 22, and we're going to look at the Lord's Supper. I want to read to you, so you can just open your Bibles and find Luke. It's in the, there are these little black Bibles all over the place. It's in the New Testament. But Luke chapter 22. I want to read a statement that Jesus makes to his disciples um, to kind of set the, uh, set the stage for what we have to talk about tonight. Luke chapter 22. Half, in verse 15, he says to them, all his disciples are gathered around him, and he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus wants to eat a meal with his disciples, and it's a very important meal. Now, what I'd like to ask you very quickly is, what is your favorite meal? Because food... I'll just preface this question with food really determines our culture and our background. Like when we want to share cultures, what's the first thing we share is food. And in a lot of ways, it's the last thing we share. Like food defines who we are in a lot of ways in our cultures and how we kind of have community. So I know there's at least half of you are foodies and the other half could care less about what you eat. You just want to eat it and so put it in front of you. Um, so just quickly, yell out at me some really good meals that you like to eat. Just, just yell them out. Eric's pizza. Eric's pizza. Okay, good. That's good. Taco. Somebody said tacos. Heart attack bread. Chicken fried steak. Bread and butter. Chocolate souffle. Chicken cordon bleu. What was that? Oh, chicken fingers and French fries. What's that? Frogmore soup. What did we say back there? Goulash. Clams. Grilled cheese. Steak. Yeah. So, now, are there any, like, just yell out at me some restaurants that you really like to go to, like, and you think about, like, that's going to make life when I go to that restaurant. It doesn't... Rocco's. Okay. Vivachi. All right. Somebody's singing my own... Oh, you you don't have any restaurants? You're agreeing with Vivachi. You're saying amen on Vivachi. Any any other restaurants? Mr. K's Barbecue. Where? Raleigh's. Fresh Fire. Denny's. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you know... Food is, is this thing that really, it connects all of us, right? We have to eat it to survive. And a lot of times we eat it together. And it's where we are supposed to get to know each other because we're forced to at least stop for a few moments and shove stuff in our face. And even when you go to a fast food store, you eventually have to talk a little bit between shoving your mouth full of french fries, right? So meals are, are important. I remember when I was a little kid, I don't remember exactly why or when this was, but we were driving from Arizona to Youngstown, and there was a period in that long trip in a hot, no-air-conditioned Volvo at seven years old that I was thinking about Grandma's kibasa, and I was hoping that Grandma would have kibasa when we got there. 
right? And, and it, it created all these warm and good feelings. Now, let me just tell you one more story about food. Um, when I got married early on, my wife decided that she wanted to throw me a surprise birthday party. But I didn't know that. What I wanted to do was cook a really good meal for my close friends and eat with them. So I spent all day cooking this meal, and she knew I was cooking this meal, and I had invited all these people. And while I was doing that, she was planning a surprise party at another house. And I spent all this time on this meal, and halfway through the meal, or halfway through my preparation, one of my friends called me and said, I have a flat tire. I can't come. You need to come get me. And then when I went and got him, and we couldn't move his car, but then he wanted to go to my mom's house. And I'm like, why do you want to go to my mom's house? And so I have this great meal waiting for people, and they're going to come, and I need to tell them. He's like, oh, no, just, we'll just swing by your mom's, and then we'll get there. And so I went, and it was a big surprise party, and I wasn't very happy. Because right? I was anticipating this really nice meal with my really close friends that I'd spent a lot of time preparing. So I was disappointed. I want to put that there because I want to start. I want you just to have that sense of disappointment a little bit. Join me in my sadness because I had a great celebration birthday party that was thrown by my wife. Um, but join my disappointment for a minute. And let me start chapter 22 for you and, and you'll see why we're doing this. Chapter 22. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Now, before we get to that line that might make you a little uncomfortable, Satan entered him. Let's just talk at the beginning, unleavened bread and Passover. These are a big-time meal and a big-time celebration for the Hebrew people. Passover is a celebration of the Israelites being freed from the Egyptians a long, long time ago. And the Passover part of it is... There were all of these plagues that God brought on the Egyptians. And if you've seen, you know, any of Charlton Heston's Moses, or you've seen, if you're younger, you've seen DreamWorks, uh, what is the name of that? Prince of Egypt. So you kind of know the story a little bit if you've seen those. But what was to happen was the angel of death was going to come over everybody and kill all the firstborn of all the Egyptians and all the Israelites. But what Moses, and God told Moses to tell the people was, Kill a lamb, an unblemished lamb, mark the top of your doorposts, and put all your animals and you inside the house. And when the angel of death comes, it will pass over you. Not only that, once the chaos happens, you need to get all your stuff and go. And so people didn't have time to let their bread raise. And so this festival that they have every year starts with the Passover and it's about unleavened bread. Now, two weeks before this, what happens is all of the uh, roads are going to be fixed. You're going to see lots of soldiers out there. They're cleaning the tombs. Because once you have 
gone through your house, and this is what you would do. You'd do spring cleaning, and you'd go through your house, and you would symbolically take out the leaven. Right? You're going to take out the sin. It's a good, but it was just spring cleaning because it happens in March, right? So you got spring cleaning. You're getting rid of the sin. Hi. And um, once you get rid of that, you don't want to be unclean. So they clean all the tombs on the way to Jerusalem. Everything's been cleaned, okay? And you guys are not paying attention to me over here, okay? So let's just work that out there. You're watching her. No, it's totally fine. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. It's just when, when Tamaki's making faces at me over there, it's like I'm like, you know, you don't have to take the baby. It's fine. I can compete. Really, I can. It's all right. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> anyway, it's this big festival. The most important thing you need to remember about the festival is it happens yearly, and it's a celebration of the Hebrew people's opportunity for the first time to worship their God in freedom, to not be oppressed and be slaves. Okay? And so that's what Jesus wants to eat with his disciples, this remembering time. Only one of his disciples decides to betray him. Now, a lot of times when you talk about this, you, you might identify with Jesus and think, yeah, I know what it's like to be betrayed. Or if you're really guilt-ridden, you might think, well, I've betrayed a lot of people, so I can kind of identify with Judas. But here's the reality. Let's, most of us are Judas. We have betrayed God. But the reality is, is because we live in a culture where it was started in America, no taxation without representation, right? So we have been a country, in some ways, that was started as victims. We don't like to be victimized. And Judas' betrayal, I think, is built out of his own feeling that he's a victim. Most likely, what happened was, is that he's looking at, he got chosen as one of the 12 disciples, and he's looking at where Jesus is going, and he's thinking, this guy heals people. This guy, you know, sticks up to the leaders. We're going to overthrow the Romans and I'm going to have power and wealth. But he kind of sees the way that Jesus is going and he's like, wait a minute, I've been sold a bill of goods. Like, this isn't what I expected. Right? And a lot of times, what he could have done simply was just say, meh, fine, I'm out. I'm just going to leave. But a lot of times when something, when we feel like someone has taken advantage of us, and you know, I hear this story and I give this story all the time, is, man, like somehow my work is completely against me. Like, or the whole church is against me. Or, you know, like my whole family is against me. Like we all love to narrate our stories kind of bigger and like we're the victim and everybody's against us. And usually when we narrate our stories that way, we don't, we can't back out. We can't just say, I'm going to cash out. We have to become victimizers ourselves. We have to strike back. Now, Judas probably had two ideas going. One, he thought, maybe I'll force Jesus' hand and then he'll have to use all his power. And then he will destroy you know, the authority. Or he was thinking, I'm going to get rid of him. I'm done. Like He's basically burned me, and so I'm going to, I'm going to finish him. So uh, at least you have to, to think that there's a lot of anger and a lot of angst that's going to be around this dinner table. One guy is looking to kill Jesus. Okay. Now, I just want to talk quickly about 
this idea of Satan. All I'm going to say is, is that the way of Satan is to victimize people. And so when you get into a place in your life where you begin to narrate your whole story like everyone is against you, you give Satan an opportunity to come into your life and move you in a direction where you become the person who is victimizing, who becomes the one who strikes at people. Okay? And so this is where this dinner happens. Now, let me read to you the preparation, the next part, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? Where where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. Just a quick note. A couple things, just so you get the feel of this whole dinner and what's happening. There are two million people in Jerusalem and the surrounding city because they've all come in to celebrate Passover. If you're a young man and you live at least 15 miles away, you are required by law to come into Jerusalem. Now, the other thing that's interesting is if you own a house around Jerusalem or in Jerusalem, you cannot charge anybody to stay at it. People can just say, do you have a room for me? And they have to say, by law, yes, I do have a room for you. Can you imagine that? If we had big celebrations here in Tucson and you're required by law, if you got a spare room and you know somebody comes in on their donkey, you got to house their donkey and you know, put them in your in the room for free and feed them and clean up after them. Now, for this little thing here, in Jerusalem, women carry water, not men. That's not a man's job. So, Jesus has this whole system planned out that, that he's talked to somebody, at this time you need to go out and carry the water. I'll have disciples. They'll find you. I want to have Passover at your house. It's probably a very wealthy man, and their houses are like big rectangles. So on the bottom rectangle is where everybody lives, and on the top rectangle is big, gigantic rooms for things like Passover. So Jesus has it planned out. This is really interesting, because sometimes I feel like Jesus is playing things by the seat of his pants, but he isn't. Like, I don't know if you feel that way about your life sometimes, and you're in a relationship, like, okay, Jesus, you seem to just be making this up as you go. But I think what you see as you watch Luke, especially the last two weeks, is he kind of shows what Jesus is doing. He's thought it all out. Okay, so he sets up this meal. It's something he wants to eat. Like it's a very important meal to him. And before we talk about the meal, we're going to jump over it because I want you to see the other people at the meal. So we've got somebody who wants to kill Jesus, and this is the meal he really, really wants to eat. Verse 24 of chapter 22. These are the guys he's eating the meal with. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to con- was considered to be the greatest. So kind of what's happening is where people are going to sit at the table, which is kind of how it works at my house because we have two left-handed people. Now when you have two left-handed people, there are rules as to where you sit. Do not sit in a left-handed person's seat. That is a seat of honor. Okay, 
There are two left-handers, and they will hit you if you sit in their seat because they don't want to be, you know, elbowed, right? Well, this is kind of what's going on, except in a greater sense. Um, they're arguing over who's the greatest, and this is what Jesus says to them. The king of the Gentiles lords over it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So I just want you to quickly hear what Jesus says. First, he has this meal that he's really longing to eat. And he's going to eat it with somebody who's going to betray him. And he's eating it with people who are constantly trying to climb on top of each other to be the greatest. Want to know who's better than who. Right? It's kind of that my dad can beat your dad up. Right? And, and we mentally have that conversation in our head about our own value and stuff. But Jesus says, and he kind of turns the table on them and he says, look, the person who's most important is the person who serves. And he, he puts this person in there, the younger, a kid, right? On Friday, I was here at the church doing a little bit of cleaning because it's my week with my wife to do cleaning and I was trying to get ahead. And the Parks showed up and little Alice, who's five years old, showed up. And she marches in and I'm there with the vacuum cleaner and she looks up at me and she says, getting ready for church? And what was interesting about that that struck me is she wasn't thinking, like she understood that that was my job and that I had the power. There was nothing in her conversation where she was like, I would like to get ready for the church. I would like to be the pastor. I would like, no, she's just like, I recognize who you are and what you're doing. There wasn't, she was innocent. There wasn't any pretense in her. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that what he's calling, what he's about, his little rebuke to his disciples, and we'll talk more about it, is that the reality of this new kingdom that he's about to usher in through this meal that he really, really wants to eat with people is that we're to be like little kids without pretense and to serve one another and to understand one another's position. So Jesus is going to sit down to this meal, and I'm going to keep saying this over and over again, with a bunch of people he really wants to eat with who are really annoying. One wants to kill him, and all the others are concerned of where they're going to fit in the kingdom. Listen to what he says about how he kind of talks through this meal. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer, before I have to go to the cross. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So one of the reasons he wants to eat this is this is the last time that he's actually going to get to eat Passover meal before he eats it with all of us in the kingdom. 
After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This is this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Now for the Hebrew people, Passover is an epic story that gives them identity. They they want to eat this meal with their friends. And what Jesus does is He takes this very, very epic meal and He makes it common in a way. And He makes it about Himself. So instead of the Passover lamb being the thing that pays the price, He says, I become the Passover lamb. So what He says is, I'm changing the meal and I'm going to force you to eat together all the time and remember me. Okay? Now, I want to just, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the bread and the wine because I want you to, so I'm just going to quickly go over them because I want you to remember these are people that are out to get Jesus and people who don't understand Jesus. That he's offering to them a meal. And there's something unique about this meal that's transformative. So first, the bread. The bread is Jesus' body. He says it's no longer the bread of this festival. I'm the bread and I'm broken. Then he says, here's this cup. It's no longer the blood of the lamb that you paint over the doorpost. It will be my blood that you paint over your heart so that when death comes, it will pass over you. That's what you and I do every week when we come up here is we take bread and we take wine and we remember these things. Now here's the thing. Most of you here are just like me. You are betrayers and you spend a lot of your time trying to be the greatest. That's who you are, right? And honestly, if you stay in this community for very long, I promise you, I will hurt you. And I will make you angry. And I will sin against you. But I also promise you that you will do the same to me. And to each other. And if all we had was we're just going to get together on a Sunday and hang out and sing some fun, happy songs and sweat together, this isn't any fun. Okay, the village doesn't sing fun, happy songs. But if we were... It's not going to work. It doesn't work. In fact, you guys would not be here. I would be standing here talking to the chairs and then mailing you bills for not being here. I think that's how I'd work it if Jesus didn't exist. I would mail out bills for the talks I had that nobody came to. Because, honestly, we're really, really messed up people. And for Jesus, what he's saying to these people is, guess what? The only way you guys are going to survive 
is if you're willing to eat this particular meal together and remember. And here's the thing. You and I are really, really forgetful. And one of the biggest things we forget is the cross. We forget that Jesus died for the betrayer and Jesus died for the guy trying to be better than everybody else. So when you and I come every Sunday and we walk up and after the sermon, when you walk up, what I want you to think in your mind is, I am a betrayer. I am a guy or a girl constantly trying to get mine. And I want you to come and I want you to remember that it was Jesus' body broken on the cross for you and Jesus' blood poured out to forgive you. So that, When you turn around, and this is why we have communion, dead center, and why we do it every week, is because when you turn around, and you've taken that bread, and you've taken that wine, you turn around not a betrayer, not a person out for their own interest. You turn around as one reminded of who they are in the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells us who we are. We are servants of one another. So you turn around and you become a person who's not about themselves because they've given themselves to Jesus. Now the thing is, if you stay away from community, and it doesn't have to be the village, if you just stay away from people who center their life around Jesus and around this table and around remembering, you will end up in Judas' place. You will end up angry. You will end up telling your story as a victim and wanting people to... You're going to want your justice. This is what, what he wants, what Judas wants. He wants justice. He's been slighted and he wants justice. And what we have to realize is that when you and I come to this table, this is where justice happens. This is where you get your justice. Is that Jesus, all of sin was paid for by Jesus. There's God's justice. That He paid for you, the betrayer. He paid for you, the guy who thinks he's better than everybody else. And and that's just the list of people that were hanging out with Jesus and having dinner. But So here's why I think Jesus really wanted to have this meal. One, He understood that you and I are forgetful people and we need to be reminded constantly of who He is and what He's done. But the second thing is, I think Jesus was thinking purely out of relationship for his disciples. These were people he deeply loved, and he wanted to give them a place of redemption. He wanted to give them something tangible to tell a story about who he was. Now here's the thing about it. It's not just on Sunday, I think, when you take communion that this meal happens. I actually think That when you go to McDonald's and you get your big orange juice and you eat your McGriddle, I think, right, Ron? Don't eat two, only eat one. But when you eat those, that's also actually a moment of communion. Because here's the thing about meals. Without food, you die. And this is why communion is built around a meal. Why The table is built around a meal. Because without Jesus, you die. 
Without Jesus' blood painted over your doorpost, you're dead. You're a dead man walking. So, tonight, all I'm going to ask is as we listen to music, as we sing together, as we eat together, but mostly in the service part, that if you can, if you can say that you stand with Jesus' broken body and His blood poured out for you, so I want you to walk up in front here thinking, this is my brokenness. This is who I am. And when you take that bread and you dip it in the juice or the wine and you eat it, I want you to remember that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And I want you to turn around and look at everyone in this room and say, these are my people with whom I serve as I follow Jesus. I want you to turn around and imagine yourself to be Alice looking up at me saying, you're cleaning the church? Getting ready? Like understanding that there's a system of things. And being excited about it. Having an innocence about who God is and what He's doing. And then when you eat together afterwards, and you eat lettuce wraps, I think that's what we're having, right? That's in first, lettuce wraps tonight. Remember together what God has done. Tell people, I'm asking you to look across the table and say, this is who I was, and this is who Jesus has made me to be. Have that as a conversation tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us Jesus. Jesus, thank you for giving us a meal to remember what you've done on the cross. Taking such an epic story of the Israelites and bringing it into our everyday life on a regular basis. God, I just ask that we would be people who are very aware of our brokenness and very aware of how you've transformed us. Help us to live into our childlikeness and our servanthood. Ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. There's a couple ways tonight to respond. One is offering. If you are visiting with us, we're just happy to have you. You don't need to give anything. Um, if you just pass the baskets back and the last person will put that underneath their chair, that would be awesome. The other way, as I said, to... Uh, to respond is communion. I even tried to get as close as I could to unleavened bread tonight so that we wouldn't have any yeast. But as you heard on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread and He broke it. He said, this is my body. Eat. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And He took the wine and He said, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant. The old covenant was if you obey God, God will be yours. But if you disobey God, then you're separated from Him. But Jesus says, the new covenant is my blood connects you to relationship with Him. Take and drink. And last, there's a black chair back there. It's the sinner's chair. I know it's a little intimidating, but it just comes out of Lutheran tradition where if somebody felt oppressed by their sin or the sin just around them, that they could say, I have need of the sinner's chair, and they could sit in it and people would pray for them and sing over them. So if you need to be prayed for, just go sit in that chair and someone will pray for you. Let's spend some time worshiping God.